You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th, hosted by Kevin Hart. The seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. What is going on, Belly Up Sports fam? It is Shaka Cummings. It is Parker Ainsworth. Welcome to FN Sports, the podcast with two teachers' grade sports' biggest issues. Parker, how are you doing as the school year slowly but surely is beginning to wrap up <laughs> school year is winding down it's weird because i guess we're at part, part of the year that would have been winding down anyway but it feels like it's really been like slowly winding down over the course of quarantine but i'm doing okay how you doing shaga i feel exactly how you just expressed which is like it it's weird this is the time of year where school normally wraps up but it just feels different being in quarantine I don't know. It's just it's a it's obviously a weird school year, and I'm happy for it to end, and I'm hoping for some normalcy, and I can't wait till stuff starts to open up so I can go outside. Uh, I'm looking forward <laughs> to that. Uh, hey Parker, let's do our gold stars and detentions. So Parker, why don't you hit us with a gold star? Uh, my gold star for this week goes to Dallas Mavericks owner Mark Cuban. Again, if you know me or follow me on Twitter, you know it's hard for me to give gold stars to Dallas Mavericks personnel in general but gold star to mark cuban uh he and he launched an undercover task force here in dallas to kind of go in and see of all these restaurants and stuff reopening what percentage of them were following what percentage of the rule of the rules arbitrated and such like that uh to kind of get a gauge to take to the nba right to talk about how rules are being followed and such in their fair in their markets only to find out that uh, 96% of the restaurants that they sent people to were not abiding by the state's codes and uh, wow. rules. And so I think he made a very strong case for like, look, we can't do this in Dallas right now. <laughs> um, so hats off to Mark Cuban, though, as a history teacher for uh, doing your research. So that's crazy because, um, number one, 
you are giving a lot of gold stars to people that I know you don't want to give gold stars to. Between like Steph Absolutely. Curry and Mark Cuban, it's like <laughs> what? But um, no, it's crazy yeah. that the number is that high. Like uh, that people just, I, it's just hard to do. I would imagine for these restaurants to just kind of switch the way that they do things. I don't want to detention the restaurants because a he didn't go through and name all of them, but also b like I know that it's crazy difficult right now. I just that he did his research was enough for me to say, oh, he's not just making stuff up. He's actually sending people out to look this stuff up and look into it. So no, that's awesome. Uh, my gold star for this week is going to go to the UFC because they put on a live sporting event yesterday. We record this pod on Sunday. It is actually Mother's Day. Uh, and so last night I watched UFC 249. The main event, Justin Gaethje won the interim lightweight championship as he was fighting Tony Ferguson. Tony Ferguson had the longest winning streak in the division. He won 12 fights in a row. Then he ran into the highlight Justin Gaethje. And Justin Gaethje, if you look at Tony Ferguson's face after the fight, it looks like he took his face and just rubbed it on a cheese grater. Uh, Henry Cejudo, who's the current bantamweight champion, who won against arguably the greatest bantamweight of all time in Dominic Cruz and then retired. He's like, walk off. Like, I'm done. Drop the mic. And so it was cool to have some live sports, and it was cool to have a really solid card. Now, unfortunately, one of the fighters did test positive for Corona, uh, Jacare Sosa, but they were testing folks, and they caught him early enough that they hopefully isolated him. We'll find out, I guess, in a week or two how successful this thing is, because obviously if there's a Corona outbreak because of this fight, uh, that gold star is going to have to turn around pretty quick. <laughs> Conditional gold star. Conditional, absolutely. <laughs> what detentions do you have, Parker? Sticking with the team ownership groups, um, my detention, as seems to be a theme for this uh, segment, goes to Tillman Fertitta, um, owner of the Houston Rockets, <laughs> as well as some casino and restaurant uh, brands. Um, Tillman Fertitta took out a large $300 million loan because he's refusing to sell off properties of his. And the $300 million loan is at a 13% interest rate. You know what, Tillman? If you're never going to go into luxury tax anyway, sell the team. Screw the loan, sell the team. You're already admitting, like, even with two guys making a combined $70 million, you're not going to go into luxury tax that you pay at over $140. you are already too cheap with this team. If you're going to be paying a 13% loan on $300 million, you are never going to be not cheap on owning this team. Sell them. Parker wants Tillman Fertitta to sell this team maybe, maybe as much as I want James Dillon to sell the Knicks. <laughs> uh, my, uh, my detention for this week goes to everyone on Twitter who's engaging in the Michael Jordan versus LeBron James conversation in a way that requires you to disparage one in order to build the other one up. Because if you're doing that, you're stupid. You can talk about Michael Jordan and LeBron James and their respective greatness without trying to tear the other one down. And when you try to tear down LeBron James or Michael Jordan, you look like an idiot because those guys are great. They're historically great. They're on any sort of Mount Rushmore. If they're not on your Mount Rushmore, that's only because you're biased. That's not because of anything that objectively you can say. Just have the conversation, have the discussion in a way that's respectful of the fact that both of these guys are great. I actually love conversations around, like, who's the GOAT. Like, I'm okay with that conversation. But if you try to talk to me about what LeBron can't do, as if there's honestly anything basketball-related that LeBron can't do, 
then I don't even want to have the conversation with you. And I don't want to have the conversation that Jordan played in a different era, and so he can't shoot threes. That only tells me that you're an ignorant basketball fan if you honestly believe Jordan couldn't shoot threes. <laughs> you're just an idiot, and so I don't want to have the conversation with you. So detention to the folks who feel like they got to tear down uh, the greatest basketball players that in my lifetime I've ever seen in order to build up the other one. You're just an idiot. Well, and the – Jordan can't shoot three things blows my mind because he would walk up and down the plane and join in every card game till he had everyone on the plane's money. If the game becomes shooting threes, he's going to get good at that. Like I, I, I don't understand <laughs> that concept. He, if he wanted to play everyone in cards, he's also going to play everyone in their kind of basketball. That's just how it's going to happen. Michael Jordan's three point percentage is the same as Kobe Bryant's basically. And nobody ever says Kobe can't shoot threes. It's just the most ridiculous argument ever. What other detention do you have Parker? My last attention kind of sticks to the theme of Twitter commentary, except from a little bit more high-profile individual. Um, for anyone that knows or follows me, I like following HP Basketball a lot. Matt Moore is a fun follow off the Action Network. He does a lot of good work with basketball and looks at it very, looks at basketball very interestingly. Although I would argue he doesn't do a whole lot outside of basketball. So if that's not your thing, fine. But he was commenting on Giannis Antetokounmpo after Giannis got hacked last week in his Twitter. As people talked, like went on saying, said he was going about going to Warriors and so on. In the Twitter, it very clearly was hacked. There's some crude stuff in there too. Uh, side note: extra detention to the hacker if we ever figure out who that was. But um, <laughs> Matt Moore on Action Network tweeted out that he did not want to see Giannis leave Milwaukee for Golden State. Um, he understands it if it happens just like he did with Kevin Durant, that he understands that that's a good career move in a lot of ways to win. He just doesn't want it to happen. He kind of, he'd be disappointed. Kevin Durant came back with him, just replied to the tweet with sensitive bleep. (laughs) And then then went back and forth with fans all throughout the commentary. And I'm not saying Kevin Durant is not a human being, and I'm sure it's hard to read people criticizing you on Twitter and stuff like that. My thing is, is that, Calling someone sensitive bleep when they're doing their job, which is talking about the sport you play. Like, who's sensitive here? Who who who's really the being the sensitive bleep here? Is it the guy doing his job and like talking about basketball, or is it the guy that's like spending his quarantine scrolling through Twitter looking for his name? Like, wait a second, what'd you say about me? Like, who's who's being sensitive there? <laughs> I, I just <laughs> delete I, your Twitter. Delete your t- <laughs> like when you just respond to Tim and Fertitta, sub a team. That's what we need oh. to do to Kevin Durant. Delete your Twitter. <laughs> Just that's it. We're done. <laughs> Completely. Okay, so uh, this week we're going to talk NFL schedule. As the schedule was released last week, we're going to look at some of the best matchups. We're also going to have a conversation about Jim Harbaugh. He released some interesting thoughts via a letter this week. And so we're going to talk about the Jim Harbaugh letter. And then we're going to wrap up with a Mother's Day-themed edition of the best upsets in sports history. So without further ado, Mr. Ainsworth, are you ready to go, sir? Ready when you are, Shaka. Okay, Mr. Ainsworth, we are going to take our football SATs this week. We have several multiple choice questions around the release of the NFL schedule for the 2020 season. So let's start at the beginning. Mr. Ainsworth, your first multiple choice question. The most interesting opening week game is A, the LA Chargers at the Cincinnati Bengals, B, the Arizona Cardinals at the San Francisco 49ers, C, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers (laughs) at the New Orleans Saints, D, 
the Houston Texans at the Kansas City Chiefs, or E, some other opening game? Uh, right now, I'm thinking it is C, Tampa at New Orleans. What about you, Shaka? Yeah, that's the game that screams to me it's going to be pretty darn interesting. Now, when the number one pick in the draft gets to have a home opener, that's also interesting. So I'm looking at that Cincinnati game, and I'm not normally a person who's like, oh, yeah, Bengals, I need to watch that on television. But I am interested because I think that Joe Burrow is clearly going to be the starter now that Andy Dalton has signed with Dallas. So it feels like that could be a very interesting game. I also think that Arizona is going to be pretty good. But it's got to be Brady versus Breeze, especially because that could be the last time, right? Well, their uh, their meeting later in the year would could be, but the, it could be the last year of it. I think the interesting thing about Houston Kansas City is, if you think Houston's the team that went up twenty four nothing, that could be a really good game. If you think that Houston's the team that gave up a fifty one to seven run after that, I mean, then they're not a very good team. It's not a very good game. Uh, I think the big deal with Tampa Bay New Orleans is I see that as a potential NFC Championship game. It's also a divisional game, so you get it twice in the same year. And it's two, you know, Hall of Fame, future Hall of Fame quarterbacks. I think that that's a really, really interesting way to open up the season. The other thing is, is like, obviously, sports media the day after will be crazy hyped if it goes one or the other. But if like, if that game is a blowout because of a weird offseason and Tampa doesn't get much time to go through the new playbook and whatnot, and New Orleans is more or less keeping things the same and it's been a good team for three or four years, like a really good team for three or four years now, like the overreaction Monday, Tuesday analysis will be crazy. <laughs> so... it, it could be the other way too. Like, could you imagine, let's say that Tampa goes into New Orleans and, you know, we're not predicting this, but let's say they go in there and blow out New Orleans. All of a sudden, is it going to be, hey, we need to get Taysom Hill in there? <laughs> like, right. <laughs> or we got to get Jamison? Yeah. You know? Yeah, bring back, you know, we missed Teddy Bridgewater. Who knows? You know, I think that that's going to be a very, a, a game with a lot of talk afterwards. Uh, obviously, because it's got two Hall of Fame quarterbacks in it. Okay, the next question. The most interesting Thursday night game this season is going to be A, the Bengals at the Browns week two, B, Green Bay Packers at San Francisco 49ers in week nine, C, the Dallas Cowboys at Baltimore in week 13, D, Minnesota Vikings at New Orleans in week 16, or E, some other game. So I'm a sucker every time Aaron Rodgers goes back to San Fran because he's a Bay Area kid and they want to, you know, hype all that up and that kind of stuff. So those are always fun stories. Dallas at Baltimore week 13 is intriguing to me uh, because by week 13, we're going to know if, you know, Baltimore's things in a very clear have either been a one year and then everyone figured out how to stop that offense or a, oh my God, this is rolling through the whole league again for a second consecutive year kind of offense. I think I'm going to go, however, with Bengals at Browns week two, um, because interesting. You know, I'm not a huge Joe Burrow guy, but one thing I will say is if Joe Burrow outperforms his quarterback counterpart on the other team in Baker Mayfield, you're gonna have a lot of Ohioans very conflicted about what's going on in Cleveland because this time a year ago, people were saying, "Oh my gosh, curse is broken. We're back. We're back. We're back." And then they had a not so great year. And then if a rookie quarterback comes in and knocks them off in week two of this second year of this, you know, oh, trust me, Cleveland's back kind of gear, ooh, the rest of the year could be a long year in Cleveland. <laughs> it could be a long year in Cleveland anyway if they don't kind of get going. Like, those personalities are 
obviously a tough mix, and they saw a little bit of that last year. The yeah. matchup that's jumping out to me, like screaming at me, is Green Bay-San Francisco because that was the NFC title game last year. I'm not anticipating that Aaron Rodgers is just going to fall off the earth. However, I don't feel that they gave him a ton of help in the offseason. And so there's a part of me that's like, I'm wondering where Green Bay will actually be by the time week nine rolls around. Like, are they going to be a team in the NFC that we're looking at and saying they have an opportunity to get to the Super Bowl? You know, it's funny. We haven't talked about Minneapolis, New Orleans a ton. That's the whole um, the uh, the miracle game from a couple of years back, except uh, right. now Stefan Diggs is <laughs> no longer with the Vikings. So uh, yeah. that game could be interesting as well, especially because it's late in the season and we anticipate that both of those teams are going to be pretty good. I think I'm going to go B Green Bay, San Francisco, though, overall. All right, Mr. Cummings, question number three. The most interesting Sunday night game this season is A, Dallas Cowboys at LA Rams week one. B, New Orleans Saints at Tampa Bay Buccaneers week nine. C, LA Rams at San Francisco 49ers in week six. D, Kansas City Chiefs at Las Vegas Raiders. That's so weird to say. At the Raiders in week 11. Or E, other. Okay, I'm I'm not going other. I'm definitely going to pick from the list. That being said, the New Orleans-Tampa Bay game could be interesting, but we've seen it already, and I do think that there's something to be said for having them in the same division and seeing that game twice, that it's like, mm, you know, okay, I've kind of seen that one. And so I say that, and then the game that I'm actually going to pick is the Kansas City-Las Vegas Raiders, and obviously that's a division game as well. But the difference with that game is – Kansas City and Las Vegas are historical rivals that really hate each other. And that's the first time that Kansas City is going to go into Las Vegas to see what it's going to be like in that new environment. Now, the piece that could become tricky, we don't know what the Raiders are going to be by week 11. Like, I feel pretty confident that Kansas City is still going to be in the mix in week 11. We don't know what the Raiders are going to be by week 11. Uh, they could be a team that you know, in this new stadium with new energy are doing really well this season, or they could be a team that's already done. <laughs> so uh, it, it's just uh, that's the game that is screaming to me that's going to be the most interesting Sunday night game. I, I hear what you're saying about Vegas. I just don't think, and we talked a lot about Vegas earlier off pod, and I wonder if by week 11 if they're, like you're saying, if they're looking at Trevor Lawrence more and more and not even fielding their best 11. I think uh, – a low-key matchup here that people aren't talking a lot about is Dallas at LA in week one. Both of those teams had really good 2018-19s and really bad 2019-20s. Um, both of those teams are kind of wondering if that quarterback they had two years ago is really the guy going forward, it looks like. Um, both of those teams are like looking to have big bounce backs. And uh, I think in week one, they're really looking to set a tone for the season. And are you going to be the team from two years ago or are you going to be the team from a year ago is a big question out there for LA and Dallas. I also think it's interesting if you look at Dallas, this Dak contract situation very well could be, is he sitting? Is he playing? Is he being scrutinized every single time he takes a snap, right? Like what's happening in that whole world in week one? Um, we won't know until then. Let's move to the next question. The most interesting Monday night game. We have Kansas City at Baltimore in week three. Seattle at Philly in week 12, Pittsburgh at Cincinnati in week 15, 
Buffalo at New England in week 16 or some other game? Well, I initially wanted to go off the board here and go with other for week two. Week two, you have Saints at Raiders. Um, because if I'm being really honest, as I said in an earlier question, I have enough of a hard time reading the, the words Las Vegas Raiders. And week two, Monday night, is their opening home game. It's their first live home game in Vegas. However, the Saints are going to come in there and kind of spank them. I don't think that's going to actually be a very good game, as interesting as the off-the-field stuff is. My answer for what's the best or most interesting game is going to probably be Kansas City at Baltimore week three. What about you? Yeah, I mean, I think that the Kansas City-Baltimore game, like that that feels obvious, right? I mean, obviously, the NFL thinks it's going to be interesting. They put it on Monday night. So right, right, uh, right. that one feels obvious. I will say that's, that's the answer in my mind is the week three match of Kansas City-Baltimore. That being said, this is a sneaky game on here because Buffalo at New England in week 16 – like, and I get that week 16 is not the end of the season. That both teams have to play again. That could be for the division, frankly. If Buffalo is going to overtake New England, this feels like a year that they can do it. They have some talent. They were a playoff team last year. New England is obviously going to be – they're going to look very different without Tom Brady. That game could be very interesting in terms of the, that division and who's going to end up being the champ. Um, let's look at that. Week 17 now, the last week of the season. Uh, the most meaningful Week 17 game will be A, the Titans at the Texans, B, Dolphins at Bills, C, Cowboys at Giants, D, Seahawks at the 49ers, or E, another game. So as far as like divisional shakeout goes, I could see A, Titans at Texans being important. Um, obviously, everyone's playing divisional game that weekend and so like that could as long as it's two of the better teams in the division you could have something good happening there and i think you know derrick henry and on one side and deshaun watson the other you could have a a very fun game to watch in titans at texans but i don't think either one of those teams is necessarily ready to compete for super bowl like i think the winner of seahawks niners might be that could be two teams playing for home field advantage throughout the nfc playoffs like it was a year ago right and seahawks at niners in week 17 You'll have some games, like Cowboys at Giants. The Cowboys, that they went and locked up the NFC East at that point, who knows they're going to win the NFC East, but they've locked it up at that point like they should. They're very talented. They might not be playing their starters, right? Seahawks and Niners could both have locked up playoff spots and be very good teams, but have to play their starters because the idea of a bye is on the line, right? And so it doesn't really matter how much either winning either team's done at that point. I think I want to go off the board. I'm actually going to take E other. And the reason why I'm going off the board is because that final week of the season, we have Pittsburgh playing Cleveland. And <laughs> the the we're, we'll talk about that <laughs> Pittsburgh-Cleveland piece a little bit more. But I'm going to pick that game because, number one, I mean, these two teams obviously hate each other based on the Miles Garrett suspension fight on the field stuff. But I also think that those two teams could be in the mix. We're, we're adding a, a seventh playoff team next year, and I think that those two teams could be in the mix for that potential slot. All right, Shaka. Last multiple-choice question of the day. The most interesting game in general on the NFL schedule is, A, either one of the Tampa Bay-New Orleans games, either in New Orleans in Week 1 or in Tampa Bay in Week 9. B, Chiefs at Tampa Bay. Uh, Kansas City at Tampa Bay in week 12. C, New Orleans at Las Vegas, which is against the word to say in week two. D, 
D, the Browns at the Steelers in week six, or E, other? Okay, so this is tough because my gut goes to B, which is the Chiefs at Tampa. The problem is that that game is week 12. And, I mean, I think that both teams are going to be really good. I think that could be a Super Bowl preview. I don't know that for sure. Both of those teams could be old for the season at that point, for all we know. And then that game becomes a little less interesting. So it almost feels safer to pick something early in the season. And we've already talked about Tampa being at New Orleans. Um, we also talked about New Orleans going to Las Vegas and opening that stadium. So uh, both of those look intriguing. Can I tell you that the fact that Cleveland and the Steelers <laughs> hate each other anyway, and they got to play each other at week six. And again, I think that both of those teams could be in the playoff mix. Like that's the one that's screaming to me that it could be the most interesting just because Miles Garrett's going to be back playing. I'm just curious how that's going to go. Uh, obviously, if things work out well for Pittsburgh, Ben Roethlisberger is going to be the quarterback. So won't have to worry about the whole uh, quarterback situation necessarily, but uh, that game feels very interesting to me. Like I'm curious as to how those teams are going to interact. The answer is probably be Chiefs Tampa, just because of how good those teams could be. But again, the Browns playing the Steelers. Anytime that those guys are going to be playing each other next season, I'm going to be watching. That's interesting to me. So Chief, again, I'm like you. I think Chiefs at Bucks in Week 12 is interesting. You have Ndamukong Su trying to chase down uh, Pat Mahomes. Um, you have, can any any sort of a defense stop that offense? Um, we've done the pod before. We talked about how the Tampa Bay's defense is actually better than advertised last year. They shot on the field way too much. You've got, at that point, there's no, we had a short offseason excuse for Tom Brady in that offense. Um, so you could also have that. And can they keep up with the high, you know, fast-paced, high-speed offense in Kansas City? I actually think that New Orleans at Tampa in Week 9 could be more inter- interesting than Tampa Bay at New Orleans in week one. Um, obviously, that's the less fun as far as watching on TV because it's not quite as loud of a stadium and the home field advantage isn't quite the same as it is in New Orleans because nowhere is quite the same as it is in New Orleans for Tampa there. But by that point, I think, A, both these teams have played each other and they know each other and they're ready for each other. At that point, you've got an understanding of what the Tampa Bay offense looks like with Brady and Gronk. You've got an understanding of you know, is New Orleans too old? Is But I just, I I wonder if, I've also predicted a couple times, I think that that could be an NFC Championship matchup. I think you'd see that in the NFC Championship game for sure. But that's not a Super Bowl matchup because they're not in this, they're not opposite one another. And I think that's part of the fun of Kansas City at Tampa. So I, I guess the answer's got to be, be Kansas City at Tampa. You could have a Super Bowl matchup in Week 12. Okay, Mr. Cummings, here's our, our thesis for the day. It has to do with college football and a letter written this week by a head coach of one of its more prominent programs, Jim Harbaugh of Michigan. Jim Harbaugh is 100% correct in his open letter to college football. What do you give that thesis? 100%. So that's the piece that like hangs me up. Like I intuitively I'm thinking A, A plus. And I'm wondering if like I'm going to talk myself out of it as we have our conversation. But I'm going to go ahead and I'm going to give it an A right now. What do you want to give it, Mr. Ainsworth? Well, this could be a really, you know, boring discussion because I also think it's an A. I think that, you know, saying he's 100% correct is plenty arguable, but I actually agree with a lot of what Jim Harbaugh had to say. So I also would give it an A. Okay, Shaka. So 
You gave that thesis an A, as did I, but you seemed a lot more hesitant in you handing out your A. So, aside from you being a really difficult grader, clearly, what made you hesitate before just handing it an A? Yeah, I am a more difficult grader. Um, <laughs> uh, no, so first, let's understand all the pieces that go into the letter from Jim Harbaugh, which is a really cool concept. He wrote this open letter to college football to say, hey, listen, guys, on some of these uh, maybe more controversial topics, this is where I stand. And I think that that's pretty cool to go ahead and put your opinions out there. So he addresses two different pieces. He addresses the NFL draft as well as transfer rules. I'm going to start with transfer rules because that's pretty simple. Basically, what Jim Harbaugh argues for is he's a big believer in the graduate transfer rule, which once you graduate from your university, you can uh, transfer to a new university and gain immediate eligibility as long as the new university that you transfer to has a program that your current university didn't offer. And what Jim Harbaugh argues that we should do in addition to that is allow for any student one time during their college career to be eligible to transfer and have immediate eligibility the following season at any point in your career. And of course, if you were going to transfer more than once, then you have to sit out a year and wait in order to be eligible. So that addition to the transfer rule would be something that's very different. Then he talks about the NFL draft. And there are lots of pieces that go into what he's saying. He wants all underclassmen to be eligible to declare for the draft. Right now, the rule is you have to be three years out of your high school graduation. And he's saying, hey, if a freshman is ready, let them enter the draft. If a sophomore is ready, let them go. He wants them to be able to sign with an agent. He wants them, as long as they haven't taken money from the agent, as long as they've maintained their eligibility, he also wants these players to be able to come back to school if they go undrafted. So... That way, an underclassman could go ahead, declare, test the process, and then if it doesn't work out for them, they could actually come back uh, to, their, to their school and be able to play. Um, and so there's a lot of interesting pieces in there. The, the transfer rules are pretty straightforward to me because I think the NCAA transfer rules suck. And so if coaches don't have to honor <laughs> their contracts, I don't know why players have to stay at these universities and then sit out a year. Like, I, I love that idea of – that opportunity for a kid to be able to transfer at least once in their career. So then I get to the NFL draft rules. There's a couple of hesitancies. Number one, the uh, the NCAA doesn't set the rule, right? The NFL actually sets the draft rule. So Harbaugh has this open letter, and it's like, okay, that's great, but the NFL's actually got to make that decision, not you. So that's the first thing. Then we get into the idea of players being able to declare at any point during their underclassmen career. And I think that maybe if you're a skill position, there's a potential that you could be ready. On the lines, in the interior, I definitely think that you need time to actually build up your body physically before you go against NFL guys. I mean, while the rule could allow for some sort of, you know, transcendent uh, big man to, to make that jump, I just don't want to put in place a rule that encourages a bunch of guys to make a jump that they're not going to be ready for. And then the third thing that causes me to have hesitancy is this idea of being able to come back to your school because the National Signing Day and the, the NFL draft and the declaration for the draft, like those are at different times, right? So your National Signing Day, you end up doing all the, the fanfare 
in uh, February, and then the NFL draft, we literally just had a couple of weeks ago in April, and so there may be some timing in terms of scholarships and roster spots and maybe unanticipated competition that coaches have to deal with, and so that's where the hesitancy might come, but again, I gave it an A, and the reason why I gave it an A is because I think if you take all these things in conjunction, this could be good. So, like, if you have the transfer rule where a kid could transfer one time, and let's say they decide to declare for the draft and it doesn't work out. Okay, well, if it doesn't work out and they try to come back to the school and the school doesn't have a spot for them, they could transfer. And that's they could do that and be immediately eligible. So I think that if you do everything together, then it's probably an A. Jim Harbaugh is very clearly, I'm going to say this, brother. Jim Harbaugh is very clearly just pointing <laughs> out like, hey, I want all the players that have all of these rights. It's not up to me, but if it were up to me, you'd have all of them. Come play at Michigan. Like, that's, that's very clearly a big, big recruiting tool. So, you know, props to him. Don't hate the player, hate the game. Um, but what I will say is um, I think I'm behind it all, even each individually, because I think the idea of the idea of kids being able to go pro is just, it's an interesting concept to me. And I, I hear what you're saying about it. it's not necessarily on college football. It's really on the NFL. But I'm also not naive enough to think that there's not some two things working together there in a lot of ways, right? I, I also think that, you know, you talk about big guy skill positions. I think about like a running back. Like a running back is only decreasing in value from the moment they get drafted 99% of the time, right? Like the truth is their second contract is never worth a whole lot because they've taken NFL hits. They've taken NFL whatever. They've been worked, they've been worked, they've been worked. And people are even accounting for like, oh, well, this guy played in a system in college where he had so many more carries and so he's got that many more hits on it's almost like a pitcher and a pitch count on their arm or whatever right if you can start getting paid for those hits or pitch counts early you should go get paid for those early right i know that not every running back is adrian peterson adrian peterson probably could have gone out of high school he was built like a grown man at 17 years old but there are plenty of guys that are either a speed back or you know spend a year of college and gain some weight and instead of going they, you know have a good sophomore year or whatever instead of going pro, I, I think that those guys could have longer careers and then get thus get paid for longer. I also, I'm a fan of kids being able to transfer whenever. And if, yeah, my thing is if you're worried about, well, then the kids are going to be on a different team every four years, stop worrying about kids leaving your program and make a program that kids want to stay and be a part of. And if that's not something you can do and you want to have your kids locked in there, you got bigger problems to me. Like you said, coaches get to flee and find better jobs. Kids need to be able to do the same. I also always tie this back to the NCAA versus like how a scholarship musician would be, right? A kid in the marching band at the University of Texas can up and leave and go to the University of Texas A&M or they go to SMU or they go wherever, in-state, closer to home, whatever they want to do, and not have to sit out a year of marching band. Why do we do that? It's also going to be for scholarship, right? They can play the trumpet for scholarship. Why do we do that with athletes? The answer to that, it's the only, only reason, right? I guess the interesting thing to me is, is when you get to the agent piece of this, and this may be a negative thought I've got about agents, but that's where this thing starts to get a little snake-like to me. Because he's, <laughs> he's admitting that these kids are going to need advice. They're going to need advice from people in the industry to go pro. But... I immediately go to every agent's going to tell the kids to go pro because they get 3% of the contract. So I don't know if I would necessarily jump to an agent being that person. Uh, I don't know if there's some advisory board or if you get some former agents, current whatever, some some sort of a something that doesn't necessarily have skin in the game. I, 
I hear what you're saying about kids not being ready and so on too. Um, I would point out that I, in quick math, if the number one pick at quarterback this year was Joe Burrow, he signed for $36 million, right? Tua, at the fifth pick, got 30, right? A year ago, Tua would have been the number one overall pick. He would have, a little bit of ankle here and there, but nothing like this hip problem he's got. He would have been the number one pick. If the number one pick at quarterback is $36 million, quick math in my head tells me that that cost him $6 million. Coming back for school for the third year cost Tua Tagovailoa $6 million, right? Um, I could do the math, too, about what happens if Trevor Lawrence gets hurt this year. I, I guess what I'd ask you is, first of all, my first question for you would be, what do you think is the most consequential part of this letter? Like if The transfer part. That's the right. part that needs to be done right away. And we've we talked about that on previous podcasts, only encouraging our fans to go listen to our whole catalog of pods <laughs> because we've talked about that uh, before. But th- that's the piece to me that absolutely that should have been done yesterday that uh, you could transfer and you have immediate eligibility the following season. What about you? I think I would agree with the transfer. And the interesting thing is the part that sticks out the most from the letter is the stuff about going pro, I guess, right? The yeah, stuff absolutely. that's like eye open. But like the transfer one line to me is actually the more important thing that the NCAA, A, as you pointed out, can do itself, and B, needs to get done like yesterday, like you said. I think that that's interesting that that single line in there is probably the part that needs to get done first and fastest. What do you think about, he was talking about at one point as an incentive to keep kids in school is almost like an you know, because currently the way they quote unquote get paid is in college scholarships. He was saying that you could also give them like a one plus one for every year. So like if you stay in college for three years and then go pro, you then have three years or six semesters, however you want to do it, of education at that institution after you're done. So that would incentivize a kid to stay for four years because then they could stay for four years, go get their whatever and come back. What do you think about that? Because my head went to so many of these kids don't go pro that that's opening. All of a sudden, all these college athletes are going to have at least two degrees, if not more, right? You're going to have some of these kids that don't go play, don't go pro, play four and five year college careers, and then end up getting their JD MBA in the time afterwards. Yeah, that's interesting. the The piece that I think about there, however, is I think about the University of Kentucky, where when the University of Kentucky offers you a scholarship to play athletics, it's a lifetime scholarship. So essentially, even let's say you go pro, you can always come back to University of Kentucky and utilize the rest of your scholarship, right? Nazi Muhammad actually just graduated. Um, and so I know that there's a lot of football players that end up doing that. And I believe that that's a pretty common practice, at least amongst the upper echelon schools, like Alabama does this. I don't know that the plus one would be the greatest incentive to me, what would be the greatest incentive would actually be. And I've, I've talked about this during a previous pod as well. We need to reimagine the compliance department. If we could take the compliance departments at schools and reconfigure them so that it's not just about making sure that everyone's following all the rules, but also a department that actually gives quality advice around things like name image likeness and can manage this NFL draft process for some of these underclassmen. I think that that's actually an incentive, right? So you're getting, you get, you establish a relationship with someone over a period of time. If you're a freshman, it's going to be months, but if you stay more than your freshman year, it's going to be years. So someone that hopefully you're going to be able to trust 
And that person is able to give you some guidance with regard to, hey, in terms of name image likeness, this is your potential for what you can make here. Here's what you look at in terms of the draft. Here's your potential for where you can be drafted. What makes the most sense? Like if you're Trevor Lawrence, hey, listen, you're a sophomore, go pro. But there are guys who, like, does it make more sense for me to go and potentially be a six-round draft pick? Or I could come back and I could, with this name image likeness, actually make – uh, some pretty good money here and then get another year and still go pro later. So I think that that could be an interesting piece that could potentially incentivize uh, kids to maybe stay out of school. I like it because it kind of addresses what I was talking about as like the snaky side feeling of this was that the agents were going to be the guys potentially offering that advice. Um, obviously, you could go through in a lot of universities across their campus, not just the incident of uh, compliance elements, but a lot of these campuses, you could talk about, you know, career advice being a place that lots of schools need to improve, right? Not necessarily because they're doing such a poor job right now, but just because that's the most real world application of the edu of the education they're providing, right? It's helping kids get ready for those real world jobs. Um, and some of them, it's going to be a tough conversation. Like, dude, you're not getting drafted. Finish this degree. <laughs> like, <laughs> that, that could be a real tough conversation at some of those compliance department kind of things. Um, taking that out of the hands of the agents and making it a part of the school it's like solving one snake and giving me another right because then the school is going to say well you need to come back because you're a really important part of this bro i can see the the opposite end of the pendulum happening there where you have the school saying oh man you don't need to go pro yet you need to stay here and sell your likeness and be a part of our team for and the truth is the guy might have needed to go pro you know because they just want to keep him on the on the squad I don't, I don't know what the exact answer is to my, in my head, but I, I just see that that being presenting the other end of the same problem. Okay, Mr. Ainsworth, in honor of Mothers Everywhere and the fact that we're recording on Mother's Day, we have a thesis statement that I think, uh, in terms of language, fits the sentiment. Uh, the miracle on ice is the mother of all upsets in sports history. So, Mr. Ainsworth, how would you grade that thesis statement? I want to give it, I mean, obviously, as a patriotic American, I'm super obviously going to give it. No, but I want to say <laughs> somewhere in the B range because part of that's probably my youth. But I have other upsets that I also think were just as incredible. So, I'm thinking somewhere in the B range. I'm thinking there's a, there's a few upsets that I rank higher than this one. Which is crazy because I, I think that historically there might be an argument that this is probably the greatest. But I have a couple that I think are greater. So I think I'm going to give this – it's a pretty awesome upset, but I'm still going to go B-. minus. That's where I'm going to go. Okay, Mr. Ainsworth, we are talking about the mother of all sports upsets. And the thesis statement says that the miracle on ice – is in fact that. Now, you said you wanted to go in the B range, so you obviously recognize that it's a pretty significant upset. What are some of the upsets in your mind that might potentially be greater? Well, and I, I also want to admit that part of my B range grade may just be on my own youth. So the Miracle on Ice, for anyone listening that doesn't know what we're talking about, is the United States hockey team upsets the Soviet Union in 1980 at the Winter Olympics. Soviets obviously had a, you know, in a pre-professional athletes at the Olympics as good a hockey team as you could have put together. Uh, and the bunch of college kids came together and beat the Soviets in the middle of the Cold War, and it was symbolic in a lot of ways. Uh, it also was made famous 
and probably the more like part of it that sticks in my head as someone born in 1991 in a Disney movie about 10 or 12 years ago. I, I guess I go to, I'm just not a big hockey person. And maybe that's part of it too, is that it just doesn't <laughs> strike me because I'm not a big hockey person. I think of big upsets. And I think of the five slam pajama losing. And I think of New, the New England Patriots, you know, blowing their undefeated season in the Super Bowl in 2007. And I think of, Oh, just a couple years ago, we had a 16 seed upset of one seed in the first round NCAA tournament. Right? Yeah. Like I, I, uh, with Virginia falling, I and the funniest part about that was that the the Twitter handle for the University of Maryland Baltimore, I think it was, and they had a funny sports Twitter handle for a while. Um, it still actually is pretty good. <laughs> it's still a pretty yeah. good follow. <laughs> um, so I think of those, and I frankly a lot of them seem to stick with the idea of. NCAA tournament because of the sample size and the weird weirdness of the NCAA tournament. But even outside of that, like I think of like how much fun was it to watch the We Believe Warriors upset happen in the We Believe team with Baron Davis and those guys. And maybe that's because I hate the Mavericks a little bit. But the, the truth was <laughs> watching the We Believe Warriors beat the Mavericks over the course of several days because it took several days to play that series. I, I don't know. So I, I guess my deal is is that I'd stay in the B range because I'm not just one to just hand it the title of mother of all upsets. Yeah, I have some upsets that I would definitively rank higher. A part of <laughs> a part of my hang up with the miracle on ice, and I don't it's not a hang up like I don't recognize how great this is. I just want everyone to know. I actually in my classroom have a framed picture of Michael Ruzioni celebrating his goal. So I recognize the miracle on ice as a incredible sports upset part of it for me is that when they beat the russians they beat them in the semifinals so like they actually still had to go play the final and actually win right. that to win the gold medal so for me that's always been a little something that i keep in the back of my mind with this upset even though uh they they should have like no one thought that they were going to beat the russians so i i understand exactly why this uh upset is as highly rated i also go to my new york fandom and in my new york fandom I think of a couple of upsets that are pretty significant, one of which you mentioned, <laughs> right? Because they literally wrote the book 19-0 and 0 about the New England Patriots. We're ready to publish it. They wrote it before the Super Bowl was played. So the book never got published <laughs> because the Giants beat them and they went 18-1. and 1. Um, And so that upset's obviously big. But another one, which is basketball-related, you talked about Golden State being the 8 seed, beating the Mavericks at 1. I, I always come back to one of the most underrated upsets. The fact that the New York Knicks in that strike-shortened season of 99 made it to the NBA Finals, they were an eight seed. Like, we, <laughs> we just we just gloss over that, I think, in the history of these upsets. They were an eight seed. They beat Miami the one. Then they went and beat Atlanta in the next round. Atlanta was either the four or five seed. Then they beat Indiana in the finals of the Eastern Conference, and then they ran into Tim Duncan and David Robinson. And obviously, you know, history gets written by the Lions, right? So if they're able to win that series, then maybe people remember them differently. But Patrick Ewing gets hurt, and then he's not able to play in the finals. And so for me anyway, like the fact that they were able to make it to the finals is something that I don't think should be lost in history. Mike Tyson, Buster Douglas in Tokyo. I mean, right. I, I believe the odds were 42 to 1 <laughs> that – uh, Douglas is going to, he's supposed to get his face pounded in by Mike Tyson. Buster Douglas goes into Tokyo and is able to 
handle Mike Tyson at a time where Mike Tyson was the baddest man on the planet. Like, no one thought that if you watch the 30 for 30 <laughs> on that, that is such an interest, 30 for 30, because Buster Douglas talks about having family members coming up to him saying, man, I can't believe you're doing this. Like, and he's like, you're supposed to be rooting for me. <laughs> like, what's going on? You guys honestly think that Tyson's just going to take me out. So that upset is like an incredible upset. Um, and then I have, in my mind, the greatest upset in sports history. Like, if you had to pick one, what would you say is the mother of all upsets? Um, well, the, the one I think of that was like the first time I remember watching something and be like, oh my God, I can't believe this is happening. Um, it was, was it 2006 or seven? It's pre Twitter, pre everyone on Facebook, pre really in the earliest stages of texting. And we're sitting around watching college football on like a random Saturday afternoon. All of a sudden everyone in my, there's no group texting cause it's 2000 and whatever. And Everyone just starts texting one another, clearly all in one-on-one -on -one text, like filling up phones back when you could only hold 50 text messages at a time or whatever. Like, oh my God, turn on ESPN. Oh my God, turn on ESPN. Oh my God, oh my God, oh my God. And like, everyone's like, what are you talking about? I turn on ESPN and Appalachian State is beating Michigan in the big house to start the season, <laughs> right? Um, the betting line for that game was 27 points. And the Appalachian State comes back and you know, blocks a field goal at the end of the game to win, uh, wins 34-32 uh, in the big house. Again, one of the, you know, most home field advantage, biggest, strongest uh, stadiums in all of college football. Big, big time game. And, you know, any research would have told you that, yes, Appalachian State was a great 1AA program, but Michigan was the number five ranked 1A program. Like, that was that was the first time I remember in my head, like, getting all those texts in about the third quarter, like, oh, my God, Appalachian State's really going to do this turning on the TV and being like, oh, this is really this is really about to happen. Oh, my God. Like, not anticipating that at all. Greatest upset of all time. There's a man by the name of Rulon Gardner. And if you don't know that man's name, go Google him. Okay? So we need to go back to the 2000 Olympics in Sydney, Australia. And we're talking about uh, heavyweight wrestling, right? And so I know that People probably only watch wrestling once every four years. And if you're not a wrestling fan, that's fine. You don't have to be a wrestling fan to understand this story. He was going up against the guy. Rulon Gardner is from the United States. He was going up against the guy by the name of Alexander Karelin. And Alexander Karelin had not lost a match in 13 years. That means that if you start doing the math on that, Alexander Karelin beat everyone who he went up against in three consecutive Olympics. And he was the clear betting favorite to do that again in the gold medal final match against Rulon Gardner. Not only had Karelin not lost a match in 13 years, before Rulon Gardner went up against him and scored a point against him, Karelin had not given up a point, a point in six <laughs> years. In six years, he didn't give up a point to anybody. So he's shutting everyone out in terms of his would, wrestling prowess. As someone who watched a lot of college wrestling like three or four years ago when I had a friend who was a big Ohio State fan and we were watching some Big Ten wrestling, scoring a point is not difficult. It should not be <laughs> um, Scoring a point is as simple as like flipping them one time or getting out. Like that's, that should not be difficult. Well, sometimes it's not even something that you consciously do. Like you just might be maneuvering on the ground and all of a sudden uh, the guy's shoulders hit the bat or something to that effect. 
or right. you know you make a mistake and all of a sudden you get reversed and that's a point like i mean um if you if two guys are down on the mat and both of them are able to stand up one of them gets a point because both of them were able to get back to the standing position and Corellin, none of that happened to him for six years he didn't make a mistake for six years he was he was killing everyone right. shutting everyone out um and the piece with rulon gardner is that so he goes into this gold medal match i remember watching nbc and they did this special on Alexander Karelin where they compared him to Ivan Drago. And they were like, he never loses. He's not going to lose. He never, because he never loses. And then Rulon Gardner beat him, <laughs> beat him 1 0 in that match. So it wasn't like he blew him out. He did just enough to score one point and win the gold medal, which is nuts. And so obviously, to me, like I think about that and I'm like, when you start putting all these pieces together, that obviously is an incredible upset, but I don't know that it's always one that comes top of mind. To me, that's the that's a greater upset than Miracle on Ice, and this is in the Olympics, so all of the pieces that go into Miracle on Ice go into Rulon Gardner beating Alexander Karelin. Greatest upset in my mind. I am stunned that you didn't talk about Texas beating USC, by the way. <laughs> Not upset. That was a better team. <laughs> Not upset when the better team wins. Sorry, that's just how that goes. <laughs> Friends, that is another week of FN Sports. Happy Mother's Day to all the moms who are listening to our little podcast, uh, including our own, who hopefully they're listening <laughs> to our podcast. Like, I got to check in with my mom and make sure that she's reviewed. And <laughs> like, well, while I'm doing that, Parker, via text, why don't you go ahead and give them your socials? <laughs> <laughs> you can find, unless you're my mom, mom, please don't look for me. But if you can find me on Twitter at, at P Ainsworth512, that's at p-a-i-n-s-w-o-r-t-h 512 on both twitter and instagram um i respond to most people these days especially as we're social distancing pretty frequently uh, i also respond to people on the fn sports twitter with dash pa a lot uh shockable use dash cc you can find us at f-i-n sports two the number two like there are two of us f-i-n-s-p-o-r-t-s number two on twitter I am also on Twitter at Shaka Cummings. I am also on Instagram at Shaka Cummings at C-H-A-K-A-C-U-M-M-I-N-G-S. We also have the podcast Instagram. The podcast Instagram is at F underscore N underscore sports. You can interact with us on any of those and then we'll get back with you. We love having a good sports debate via social media. Thank you guys for listening again this week we appreciate you and please remember when it comes to sports don't flunk with us later guys Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. 